to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly flying solo this week. Kevin has booked some time in the simulator, so it's just me this week. So I'll see what I'm going to do because it's been a very, very busy week. I think this is my fourth show in um, less than seven days time. Uh, I did uh, two. This is the third for the Formula One. Did another one uh, for my soccer show last night. Had a Whitecaps match to cover on the weekend. Got another one tomorrow night when Zlatan Ibrahimovic and the LA Galaxy are here in Vancouver. So it has definitely been a very, very busy week. But hey, I love what I do. So no complaints. It's just that some weeks are busier than others. And talking about busy, there's certainly still a lot of Formula One news going around this week. And uh, we're going to start with, uh, well, let's call it the fallout of the Bahrain Grand Prix. And uh, Charles Leclerc has been saying that uh, Ferrari should still be proud of what they did for him at the Bahrain Grand Prix, despite the engine problem that cost him his first win in Formula One. Still managed to hang on uh, to a a third place and keep a a spot on the podium. I think obviously he benefited from uh, the safety car period right at the end there when both uh, Renaults decided to simultaneously stop working a couple of laps from the end. But it was a very, very impressive uh, race uh, from from Charles. Even in Australia a couple of weeks earlier was uh, was impressive, although the, the result that day was, uh, of course, somewhat, I, I guess... Um, Restrained, I guess is the word to use, because uh, when he came up behind Sebastian Vettel, who was lacking pace in a big, big way in Melbourne, he was just told to to sit uh, behind his uh, teammate and end up uh, finishing fifth. However, fast forward two weeks later, and what an impressive race for not just a race, but the entire weekend from start to finish uh, for Charles Leclerc was uh, absolutely um, just wonderful to watch and I think uh, I titled the the post-race show that was Kevin and I streamed live in the moments after the checker flag had waved at uh, Bahrain was uh, we called it uh, Charles Leclerc, uh, Leclerc uh, a Formula One star is born and I think uh, <laughs> I'm not the only one that uh, thinks that and uh, Lewis Hamilton had some things to say to, to, to Charles in the uh, in the wake of what uh, happened and uh, the, the disappointment of having his maiden victory ripped away from him but uh, it was uh, something that quite uh, spectacular and uh, even Charles uh, said that it was a, an unforgettable weekend he took his first uh, pole position he was leading the race and uh, by rights he should have won it but sports can be cruel at times and uh, it certainly doesn't play favorites although <laughs> it is it's something to watch I mean well, what is that old saying about uh, luck is what where preparation meets uh, opportunity and uh, but still sometimes the luck that Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes have it almost seems unholy at times I mean the way that they have, um, they, they just seem to get into situations where it works out so well for them. But I mean, they prepare, they design, they do so much there at Mercedes that when when things go their way, I mean, you know that there's a lot of work that go into it, but still it was one of those situations where Ferrari uh, shot themselves into the foot to, to a certain extent and Lewis just being consistent as he always is and, and, and Bottas as well, despite not being as fast as the two Ferrari cars were just... 
ideally placed just to pick up the pieces when things started to go wrong for their rivals and at the uh, the end of the weekend it was uh, the the silver arrows uh, celebrating the, uh, the 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 one two uh, win and uh, certainly I, I think if you look at that um, that result in years to come I think if, if you're marking it down somewhere you should uh, certainly use a pen and put an asterisk uh, beside it just so you remember that this race should be uh, remembered more for what uh, Charles Leclerc did rather than uh, what 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 anybody else did because it, it certainly was uh, sort of a coming of age party I mean I think we all really expected a lot uh, from, from Charles I mean obviously a huge huge step moving up from uh, Alfa Romeo Sauber to uh, to Ferrari for this year and uh, I think those were a lot of questions that uh, that people had is he ready is he good enough and I think certainly through the first couple of weeks of the 29th season Charles is absolutely proving that that the, um, the, the faith that uh, Ferrari has put in him is certainly well warranted and he'd certainly deserves uh, to, to be there and it's just going to be uh, exciting to watch but it, it really is interesting to see what is the, the things just uh, being said because uh, there's already different articles uh, coming out and the, the, there's one here from Lawrence Edmondson who's the F1 editor at uh, ESPN.co.uk and uh, this one is called uh, Ferrari can take comfort in Charles Leclerc but uh, can lose sleep over Sebastian Vettel and well, I, I guess are we already to that point? I mean, last year, I mean, obviously, uh, I was quite quite critical of uh, Sebastian Vettel for some of the mistakes that he made uh, throughout that season. Equally critical of the team at the times that the, they they let him down. But it, it, has it gotten to that point that they really need to be that that concerned uh, about what happened? I mean, they just didn't have the pace in Australia two weeks ago, and then uh, this weekend uh, in uh, in uh, in Bahrain. I mean, he was obviously better. He had the had had pace. The, the car was fast, but Charles was quick uh, quicker. I mean, he was quicker in qualifying. He was quicker during the race. So, are we seeing a switching of the order at uh, at Ferrari? And and quite possibly we are. But of course, it still is early days yet, and we only have two races under our belts, and uh, those are on two very different uh, circuits at uh, Bahrain and Australia. Two completely different places i mean you've you can't even really compare them so it, it is interesting to see how charles has been faster than uh, sebastian over the first two races and of course uh, I, I really do wonder how how he could have uh, finished in melbourne had he not been told to sit behind sebastian vettel and uh, observe team orders but yeah i can't remember exactly what the gap to max verstappen was at that time but he was quite a ways up the road and i, I don't know that even if uh, charles had passed sebastian uh, in australia whether not he would have been able to catch uh, and pass Max Verstappen. I mean, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, but it certainly would have been uh, fun to watch. But it is. Uh I could certainly see the argument uh, that that Lawrence is making that uh, that they should be worried about uh, Sebastian Vettel, but. I'm going to sort of jump a, a little bit ahead of myself now uh, because uh, Lewis Hamilton has uh, even uh, sort of uh, been, been saying as well that that uh, some of the mistakes that uh, that um, Sebastian has been making are just uh, minute and he's kind of even coming to uh, his his aid to a little bit. I mean, he's well, I didn't call them uh, minute, but he called them uh, minuscule. And when you look at the context of a, a very long and successful career that he's had in, in Formula One, I mean, Sebastian did come out and own it and say that uh, that the the incident where he spun and in, uh, in Bahrain while trying to get around uh, Lewis Hamilton was his own uh, issue and then uh, 
that's just the way it is. I mean, I, I think to a certain extent, uh, guys are still getting to um, get to grips, no pun intended, with the with the cars and the uh, the aero regs for this year, and maybe that uh, that car going into that corner and just uh, the, the way that he was pushing it, maybe he expected it to have more grip and uh, just uh, it was going to stick to the track better than it did. Obviously, it didn't. He spun out and then uh, flat spotted his tires, and then just to add insult to injury, not only was uh, he dropping further back and uh, Lewis was uh, getting away, then the, the the vibration from the flat spot literally shook the front wing off of his car, and that was uh, rather spectacular to watch. And just a, a, another demonstration of a it, 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 when it rains, it pours in uh, professional sports, and certainly in Formula One. And it was a harsh, harsh way for Sebastian to to, to finish the race. I mean, we, I really thought uh, throughout the uh, the afternoon or the morning uh, when I was watching it live here in Vancouver that it, it looked like it was going to be a Ferrari one too. I was kind of hoping that. Uh, perhaps uh, Sebastian might be able to um, take that uh, that win and and get back on track because I think he really needs something to go his way. I mean, it was a very frustrating and disappointing year for him in 2018. And uh, obviously, sports is a, a lot about confidence and just getting that momentum. And I think that it would have been an ideal way for him to... Um, maybe kickstart the season to a certain extent. I mean, they were just so much off of the pace in Australia. And I think that was more due to the car rather than to uh, what what Vettel was doing at uh, at Melbourne. But, you know, you come to, to, to Bahrain, a, a track that he's won at it a couple times over the past couple of years and qualified quite well, that he had to figure that uh, he fancied his chances to win that one himself. But, uh, of course, it didn't work out that way. And what uh, looked uh, like a, a very, very good and positive afternoon for Ferrari turned out to, to be kind of completely different. But, you know, it's it's interesting to see Lewis Hamilton come out and, and say those things and defend Sebastian to a certain extent. And I think it's kind of a, a classy, very sporting move by, by, by Lewis to do so because, you know, it, it can't be easy to, to be the number one driver at Ferrari. I mean, especially in Italy. I mean, everything you do, everything you say, everything that happens gets put under a microphone microscope. And I mean, even on this show, I mean, he hasn't escaped uh, probably more than his uh, unfair share of attention, if you want to put it that way. But it, it really is a difficult job. And I mean, these guys very much live their life in, in, in a fishbowl at the at the big teams. And I mean, of course, they live very comfortable, luxurious lifestyles. I mean, they're rewarded handsomely for what they do, and rightly so. I mean, it's, a, it's one of the top sports in the world. But uh, it, it can be cruel at times. And, um, you know, Lewis is... Um, Jumping to to the aid of a rival, which uh, you don't always see a lot of the time in uh, professional sports, and uh, one of the quotes uh, that that jumps out, and um, he sort of uh, Lewis in the uh, the interview that he gave, uh, he's sort of uh, talking a little bit about some of the errors that um, Vettel made last year that really uh, eliminated him uh, from the uh, title contention as the season went on, and uh, Lewis goes on to say, "quote It's not uh, that it plays on your mind; it happens to to all of us just because." you're a four-time champion doesn't mean you're going to have off weekends and uh, that that's very true so um we'll have to wait and see what happens with uh, sebastian vettel and of course uh, with lewis hamilton and uh, charles leclerc and and, and valtteri bottas at a, a very very good weekend uh, in, in melbourne and if the the first two races of the season are any sort of indication i think we're in a, for a real treat this year because okay may, maybe vettel or sorry not vettel but uh, bottas ran away with it uh, to a certain extent in australia a couple of weeks ago 
but we certainly saw a lot of action and a lot of guys passing each other and uh, in Bahrain, and I think it uh, made it uh, quite exciting. So hopefully... We're starting to see some of the promise that was hinted at when uh, Ross Braun and Formula One forced through those uh, aero regs for for this year. And if uh, that's, you know, maybe a bit of a taste of things to come, then it uh, could be quite an enjoyable year. All right, well, moving uh, along, so... The, the next story, <laughs> surprise, surprise, also comes from uh, ESPN.co.uk, and this one is a, a joint article uh, from Lawrence Edmondson and uh, Nate Saunders, and it it sort of builds on the article that I was just uh, talking about uh, a little bit earlier, just about how they should be comforted in what uh, Charles Leclerc is uh, doing and uh, what uh, Sebastian's bad luck should make them lose some sleep, but... Edmondson and Saunders already putting out the question that um, Leclerc's uh, Bahrain Grand Prix uh, weekend, his whole performance there, should uh, make Ferrari starting to question Sebastian Vettel and his number one status. I'm just like, wow, really? That's that's quick. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, personally, I'm not at that point yet. I mean, I, I think that they should let these guys race. And I didn't really want, I, I didn't like to see the enforcement of the, uh, the the team orders in Australia. But of course, uh, when, when you get to top level sports and elite level sports, uh, a lot of it is uh, not just uh, about managing what, what happens during the game, during the race, whatever it is, but it's also managing players managing athletes, managing people. And I think it just would have sent the wrong message to Sebastian Vettel, especially who's come off of a very, very rough 2018, very disappointing. Could have been easy to watch uh, Lewis Hamilton win that title when he knows he had a legit shot to to, to win it himself. And then, you know, they they signed this hot young driver to come in to partner him. And uh, after having several years with uh, with Kimi Raikkonen that, uh, you know, they were pretty successful. I mean, Kimi could have delivered a little bit more on occasions, but that's a a different story. I mean, we've talked about that uh, before, but I think that would have uh, really, uh, you know, I'm thinking if I put myself in Sebastian's shoes, if I'm in that position, you're in the first race of the year, you're struggling for pace, your car just isn't quite as quick as as it had been throughout winter testing when it was quite clearly the uh, the, the cream of the crop. It was the best and quickest car out there and everybody was marveling at the speed you have. And then all of a sudden you can't keep touch with your rivals. You You can't keep touch with Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas in the Mercedes cars, and you can't keep uh, touch with uh, with uh, Max Verstappen and the Red Bull Honda. So, if you throw another uh, sort of twist to that plot, and you let your you know the 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 young rookie, well, I guess uh, Charles isn't a rookie anymore, but uh, you let the, the the young gun pass you in the very first uh, race of the weekend, I think that sends a, a very wrong message. So, I think that was a, a good move by uh, Mattia Bonato not to, to do that. But as far as the article on ESPN.co.uk, I, I'm not at that point yet um, talking about uh, you know Vettel's number one status I mean certainly that might be an issue as uh, as the year comes on or goes on further but I think they should let these uh, two guys race I think they should let it uh, battle it out I mean as long as it doesn't uh, turn out to be a, a Checo Perez slash Esteban Ocon situation like we've seen at uh, at Force India over the years where they're taking each other out and uh, they're they're losing points and they're damaging cars and it's uh, creating a toxic uh, relationship uh, between the two of them. Ferrari obviously don't want that, but uh, I don't think I, 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 you could see that. I, I'd be surprised to see that uh, happen between Charles Leclerc and uh, Sebastian Vettel if it, uh, it came to that. Uh, but anyways, uh, we're just going to take a quick break here for station identification and a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, 
and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to the show. And yes, uh, I just wanted to finish up on that thought just uh, before the, the the break. And certainly, I am not ready to um, uh, start really questioning uh, Sebastian Vettel's uh, motor or his number one status. It will be interesting, though, just to, to see. I'm not sure when his contract ends, if it's at the end of this year, the end of next year, whenever it might be. I'm interested more now as to what Sebastian Vettel might uh, be planning for the future. And I think maybe a lot will have to do with what he decides to do over the course of this season and um, well, I really hope to see him turn it around because I, I don't like seeing uh, guys struggle, and it, it's not fun, not fun to watch. I mean, not not that not Formula One should be easy, but uh, he's he's had a bit of a rough go of it, and he certainly, uh, I think, earned a bit of a break. But whether or not uh, the uh, the Formula One gods, uh, you know. The, grant him that wish or grant him that little bit of relief is uh, remains to be seen but uh, just talking a little bit uh, again about the race and uh, Lewis Hamilton talking uh, afterwards said uh, it actually felt weird passing uh, Charles Leclerc for the his win at the the Bar- Bahrain Grand Prix and of course I, I think it's a situation you w- wouldn't really expect to see I mean of course he's used to having to battle his teammate either in the form of Valtteri Bottas or Nico, Nico Rosberg a couple of years ago and then you throw into the mix guys like Danny Ricardo when he was with Red Bull and Max Verstappen and Sebastian Vettel, Kimi Raikkonen, kind of used to, uh, to to battling out with uh, with those guys, and then uh, so I, I mean it could be uh, strange to all of a sudden be uh, passing uh, Charles Leclerc, who's all of a sudden the Ferrari. But I think also very much uh, Lewis is just uh, referring to the fact that 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 Charles was just so quick, he was so fast, and uh, he was just dominant all weekend long until he uh, developed that uh, problem with the with the cylinder in his car that uh, that really sapped the power and looked like it was going to. Uh, proof terminal and ruin his afternoon but I, I think that well, I mean Ferrari I mean they they've had some issues with uh, with reliability over times but I, I mean they, they've been pretty good I mean let's uh, let's be fair I mean the problems that uh, that Ferrari have had where they've lost points for the most part over the past couple of years have been either down to to driver or team errors uh, and things like that where they've just haven't been able to um, really get uh, the, the maximum amount of points out of a race that uh, they, they probably should have gotten more I mean you can go back a couple of years too uh, when Sebastian had that big blowout uh, when his tire uh, 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 literally exploded at the end of the build Belgian Grand Prix that again was uh, I think a bit of a mistake uh, between uh, you know Sebastian and uh, and uh, and Ferrari thinking that they could get more mileage out of the set of tires that they had but of course they uh, probably thought that uh, that there was enough meat on the tire and the data that they were getting from Pirelli that uh, that he was able to go the distance but that's a, a bit of a different story. 
but um, yeah, I mean, uh, to 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 see Charles lose the the, the race in that way in a mechanical um, you know, problem that he had is a little bit unusual. So it, it must have been strange. I mean, uh, Lewis probably uh, thinking, "How am I going to keep up with these guys?" Basically, right from the, the the very first time that the lights went green during the very first practice, and realizing that they did have a deficit to to the two Ferraris, to all of a sudden basically having the the, the race and the whole afternoon and all the points handed to him on a silver platter must have been um, quite unusual. And then, of course, uh, to be just come and really fly past and and, and overtake uh, Charles in the way that he did. It, w- it was very similar, I thought, uh, to the situation that Danny Ricardo had last year at uh, at Monaco. But uh, that that race was a little bit different. Uh, you know, the, the, the problem that he had was, uh, well, of course, uh, it really slowed him down. But being, the, the, you know, Monaco being as tight and as compact as it is, Ricardo was able to to basically hold off everyone and just drive a bit of a conservative wide line and just uh, eliminate any hint of daylight that uh, a more intrepid driver might, uh, you know, consider a, an overtaking. He was able to, to hold on for the for, for the win. But you get onto a purpose-built uh, racetrack like we see at the, uh, the, the, the Bahrain International Circuit, and uh, when you have an issue like that and you're just lacking horsepower, of course, it's just going to be a, a matter of time before the cars behind you just uh, start piling up and uh, slowly picking you off uh, one by one. But, you know, still, I mean, Charles was lucky that uh, that the problem that he had happened when it did. And if it happened even five laps sooner, 10 laps sooner, for sure. I mean, he's uh, follow, He's dropping a lot further down the race order. Who knows if he would have even uh, have hung on to finishing the points. I mean, uh, I mean, the guy that, uh, the, you know, the 10th place car was obviously quite a far far away behind but uh, it really had the potential to to really ruin his uh, weekend but uh, Hamilton being you know, quite generous and sporting to his uh, his rivals and uh, not only was he uh, coming and standing up and you know ma- making sure he's got Sebastian's uh, back in the, the the wake of the critic or the the criticism he's getting from uh, some of his uh, d- detractors he went out of his way to tell Charles Leclerc that uh, a lot more wins are going to come and uh, obviously Lewis knows what it takes to win in Formula 1 and uh, he knows uh, who's legit and, and who isn't and uh, he probably sees a lot of similarities between himself and uh, Charles Leclerc and uh, he said that uh, he told uh, Leclerc after the race that he's going to have a long long career in Formula One and uh, he, he should uh, not be uh, you know too discouraged that uh, that that first win got away with him because of the problems uh, that, that he had so uh, Lewis of course he was only 23 when he won his first world championship uh, over a decade ago from Claren in 2008. So, uh, Charles, I don't know. It's to me, I've seen a lot and heard a lot of people talking about uh, Leclerc being a, a contender for the title this year. And certainly you have to think, on one hand, obviously he is. I mean, he's in one of the top cars uh, in Ferrari, you know, that uh, based over what we've seen over the past couple of years, that they've they've got a very, very competitive car. And it's it's obviously capable of um, beating Mercedes. But Charles is 21. So is it too soon to start talking about this guy being a legitimate world championship contender this year? 
Oh, wow. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a great question. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to kind of sit on the fence on this one. Part of me says yes, but part of me says, you know, you got to give it a little bit more time. I mean, he is still only 21 years old. I mean, if he could win it this year, I mean, it would be absolutely legendary stuff, right? I mean, to to, to go from uh, Alfa Romeo into a Ferrari and then uh, become a world champion uh, for them in, in the first season, I mean, it'd be almost uh, unprecedented. I mean, the last guy to win a world championship for Ferrari was uh was Kimi Räikkönen and what was that now like 2007 2009 I guess 2009 right I can't remember off the top of my head so it, it's obviously been a while so I mean they, they would be thrilled with that and I mean I mean Charles would be become an instant legend uh, for Ferrari if he could actually uh, pull that off but I mean certainly uh, Lewis is making a good point that a lot of wins are going to come and I mean uh, Charles being only 21 I mean yeah he's going to be all around for a lot more years to come. So another one that uh, that was interesting, and this didn't really get uh, picked up during the broadcast, was that uh, Leclerc actually disobeyed uh, team orders again. And, uh, well, I, we were talking a little bit uh, before the break just now that... Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the the, the call that they made uh, to implement the team orders, but in Australia, but uh, completely understood why. But again, uh, this week uh, they they said, uh, or the, the situation came up that uh, you know he was uh, much quicker than Sebastian, and uh, over the radio he said, "I'm quicker, guys." Uh, to which his uh, engineer responded, "Copy. Stay there for two laps. Stay there for two laps." And less than a lap later, Charles uh, passes Sebastian Vettel and then uh, proceeds to to race off into the desert nights and. And uh, looks like he's going to take that first win. And, well, he said afterwards it wasn't so much that he was kind of like, you know, flipping the bird to Ferrari and just kind of like doing what he wanted to. He saw he saw the opportunity to go and he was quicker. And uh, it was more of an opportunist, opportunistic thing rather than, say, rebellious or defiant. And, uh, well, I mean, I, I think that's what really sets... The, the, the greats apart in Formula One and not that I'm saying that uh, Charles is one of the greats in Formula One I mean he's going to have to do a lot more for a, a long time to really get thrown in that conversation but I mean certainly a guy that has a bright bright future in front of him but uh, I think it's those, those those little things that really set the top guys apart and I mean you got Schumacher on one side who was not only opportunistic, he was also aggressive and uh, outright uh, ruthless at times to, to to get what he wanted. Senna maybe to a degree, but I, I, I think he was a, a step or two down the ladder on the ruthlessness scale compared to to Michael Schumacher. But I, I think that's what 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 really sets the champions apart from a, a lot of other people. Because I mean, these guys they all train hard. They they're all physically fit. They all watch their diets. They all do all the all the things that they need to do: testing and getting in the simulator and talking to the engineers. Formula One's different now than it was 15, 20 years ago, and probably obviously even different five or 10 years ago as well. But still, it's it's those little things that I think that you, you can't teach uh, drivers or athletes or any of the top athletes. It just sort of, it's instinctual. And uh, I, I think Charles, just to showing that opportunistic um you know, mindset just to react and and just to go for it when he saw an opportunity, not only to take the position but to do it uh, safely so that uh, he didn't endanger himself or Sebastian and that uh, that they weren't going to have a collision or something like that. You know, for me, it's kind of hard to get mad at the guy. I mean, he's just doing what he's being paid to do, and that's uh, to 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 drive and drive hard and and hopefully win races. And if you're not going to win races, then you got to finish as high up as you you can. So that is uh, certainly. A, 
it was an interesting kind of side to see from Charles Leclerc because, I mean, uh, whenever you see him interviewed and you see him uh, around, I mean, he, he seems very humble and down to earth and quite uh, soft spoken. So to see that sort of like edgy, kind of like ruthless little side to him, I, I, I like it. I, I think it's uh, it, it's good. I mean, it, to me, like I say, it wasn't unsporting. And um, certainly I think that's an attribute that uh, if he, he, he can, the way that he plays it, if he can find a, a fair way to be ruthless, then, you know, I think that's kind of a cool thing to, to see. And it, it might serve him well during the course of his career in Formula One. So, yeah, like, uh, well, I did mention earlier that the, uh, the, the, the problem that, uh, that Charles had was, uh, what was the, uh, the, the cylinder. So, uh, Mattia Bonato said that it was a, a micro combustion on, uh, one cylinder, but, uh, the, the reason for that, they had, uh, no idea. So they're still trying to figure it out. So they're going to break down the engine. It's going to go back to, to Marinello and, uh, they're, they're really going to really dissect it and take a close look and figure out, uh, what was happening. So, you know, kind of going back to, uh, preseason testing, that was one of the the questions that, that that came out after both the tests was that uh, Ferrari were quicker than everybody else, and even though that uh, by the time uh, they went back for the second test in the second week there, that uh, the, the gap had been closed uh, by a certain extent. Uh, Mercedes had found some uh, some additional performance uh, after they put uh, some upgrades onto their car, so it, it it wasn't like they continued to fly away. But still, that was one of the issues that uh, and questions that a lot of people had after winter testing was: sure, they're fast, but are they reliable? So. So there certainly are some question marks uh, a couple of weeks into the season. And, uh, well, I think that they're going to be extra careful because they certainly let two world championships get away from them last year and the drivers and the constructors. So they would be in dereliction of duty, let's put it that way, if they don't do their due diligence and go back and break it down and figure out what went wrong and um, try and learn those lessons and apply a fix to it so it doesn't happen again because those are the kind of things that uh, that can ultimately cost you a world championship at the at the end of the year. I mean, yeah, obviously you go back over the past couple of years that uh, that that, that uh, the world champion has been, you know, the, the world champion by quite a substantial margin. And, and last year, it's, it really sort of surprises me like how far Lewis Hamilton ended up in front of Sebastian Vettel in the end, considering how neck and neck and how close it was. And in fact, Vettel was uh, quite a ways ahead of uh, Lewis Hamilton at one point up until about halfway through the year. So it can really change around. But at other times, we've seen world championships that really come down to the wire. So you really do need to to run that marathon and, and make sure that uh, you go out there every weekend that there's a Grand Prix and you're collecting all the points that you need to collect so that at the end of the year, you know, you've done everything that you can do to try to set your ups, uh, your, yourself up for success. And uh, hopefully that's, uh, that's where he is at the end of the year. But again, <laughs> who knows? All right. So just talking a little bit on um, a, a Ferrari related issue, and that is uh, we're going to move over and do a little bit of a parallel sidestep here and just to talk about Haas F1. Of course, uh, they're a Ferrari customer team or Ferrari B team or a junior team, depending on the, 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 the way that you look at it. I mean, considering that they got a lot of Ferrari components in that car, but uh, Gunther Steiner, who was uh, no doubt one of the, uh, the, the rock stars from the uh, F1 uh, Drive to Survive series that came out on Netflix, 
Alex, uh, you know, says that he's rather amazed and rather than upset about the the race day struggles that they had at uh, the the Grand Prix in Bahrain last weekend, and it was just. Uh, it was they were just not able to get anything out of the tire uh, the, the the tires during the race and uh, Magnuson just really what did he end it up I think it was uh, I think it was like twelfth maybe thirteenth I mean he was well outside of the points and that was uh, disappointing because in uh, in Australia a couple of weeks earlier they were so much better I mean uh, Grosjean basically went out in a similar fashion to last year there was a problem uh, with uh, getting the wheel back on his car during the pit stop which was uh, a bit disappointing and he had retired again in Bahrain which was is obviously not uh, the greatest start for him and I think Roma even said uh, a couple of days ago that this season has been almost a carbon copy of uh, 2018 so they're going to want to turn it around but that that, that was disappointing I thought uh, that just they were going to do a little bit better than they did in Bahrain so to see them only get one car home and that car well outside of the points was uh, a disappointment anyways just time for another quick break you're listening to Scuderia F1 the podcast always up to speed here on the Overtime Media Network we'll be back in just a moment All right, well, this wouldn't be a show if we didn't sit back and stroke our beards and cluck our tongues and just lament at how disappointed we are at uh, at Williams and this weekend or this week isn't going to be any different because uh, Robert Kubica has said that he feels like he's a passenger until Williams improves their car and boy I mean are they struggling or what again right down at the bottom of the um, the, the, the the race order Kubica I think was lapped twice I think that uh, George Russell finished uh, one lap uh, behind the the, the the leader so if Kubica was lapped twice and I'm thinking that his teammate couldn't have been that much further up the road and uh, was probably just lucky he didn't get uh, lapped uh, for a second time as well but it's been tough for, for Kubica. Obviously, he's been out uh, of Formula One for a number of years. He was reserve driver at Williams last year, and uh, and before that, he did some testing for Renault, and also I think maybe he didn't did some testing for Williams in 2017 as well. Anyway, so that that was sort of the start of the comeback then, and of course, a lot of people remember that uh, Kubica was uh, horribly injured while driving a, a, in a rally in what was it 2011, and almost uh, lost his uh, lost his arm, and that really. Put well, everybody basically thought that at that point his Formula One career was over and done with. So, I mean, from that point of view, it is a remarkable achievement that uh, Kubica has been able to get back into Formula One. Unfortunately for him, he got back into Formula One in a Williams at a time when they're the lowest point in their their history. I mean, we've seen them just literally drop off the face of the earth in just a couple of years. I mean, it's amazing to think just like only as recently as two or three years ago, this was a team that was in the top five in the Constructors Championship. And now last year they were 10th and last and it was just embarrassing. I think that I think they finished with like seven points all season long and uh, Sergei Sorokin and Lance Stroll, they struggled with the car that they had all year long in the FW41. And it's just it's it's just embarrassing to watch. And you would think that a team that has so much racing history and and so much pedigree and so much knowledge in them that that they can get just get it wrong twice in a row. And I mean, we've seen now that Patty Lowe has uh, been put on gardening leave, even though they said it's not gardening leave. It's just sort of they've mutually agreed that he should go on a leave of absence. So it's just basically you know, Patty, you're not coming in anymore. And then uh, they've managed to get uh, Patrick Head back on sort of a consultancy 
consistency basis on a on a part time sort of arrangement. But it's it's difficult to see a team with the history that they have struggle like they are. And uh, Kubica has just been battling, uh, handling diff- difficulties with his car, and he had uh, he damaged the, um, the 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 floor on his car at the Australian Grand Prix in in the, in the first uh, practice. They've repaired it, but you know it's been displaying kind of different aerodynamic behaviors despite it's basically set up identical or identically to uh, George Russell's in Bahrain so I mean I think he's been uh, being kind of uh, pragmatic and realistic uh, about it so uh, he's saying that uh, you know he, he there are some issues or some parts of uh, Formula One that have been uh, positive uh, but uh, you know being where he is right now is uh, extremely difficult so uh, yeah, I mean, how much can they really develop the car over the point uh, or over the next 19 races? At some point, they're just going to say, you know what, the car is what it is. Let's put all our attention and all our efforts into uh, designing the car for 2020 because that's that's really where it's at. And I mean, e- even beyond that, they're going to have to really... Um, trying to take advantage i think and and getting behind and really understanding what the 2021 regulations are going to be all about once those are finally decided upon and i think the sooner that formula 1 and the teams can come to agreement on that uh, the the better because i mean if they're going to really go on this uh, radical departure that they want to excuse me and then also uh change so many different things that they've talked about and and, and basically reinvent and redesign the formula 1 car i mean they got to get this done but anyways, uh, I think that uh, just one thing that uh, that Williams needs to do is obviously fo- focus on the short term, which is get this car sorted out, the FW42, that it's not a couple of seconds off of the pace. And of course, they're going to be off the pace no matter what. But it's just like, is there the potential to reduce that uh, gap, that uh, deficit that they're fa- uh, facing? Good question. I don't know. We'll wait and see over the the, the course of the season. Then, of course, they got to look at medium term, which is uh, d- designing and building a better car for 2020 that hopefully is uh, not a lemon like the last couple. And, of course, the, the, the third option is the long term, which, uh, like I was saying, is uh, uh, 2021 and beyond. But until those uh, regulation, those rules, and that vision is, uh, is official, nobody really knows. So there's only so much uh, you can really do in, in the meantime to really uh, uh, you know, get, uh, get prepared for that. So certainly a very, very difficult uh, position for Kubica to, to be in. But uh, you just kind of take a look at his uh, teammate, George Russell. I mean, not only is he a Williams driver, but he's also the reserve driver or a reserve driver for um, uh, for uh, Mercedes. I mean, he's been with them uh, for a while, of course, and uh, he was able to uh, get behind the wheel in Bahrain and do some testing. So you kind of go from the worst car in Formula One to one of the best. And uh, it, uh, I can imagine if you're George Russell, you must have uh, some deep conflicting emotions going on after you get out of uh, that uh, Mercedes. Uh, once you're done testing the W10, knowing that you're going to be going back and driving to Williams uh, next week. So hopefully for, for him, they can get that car sorted out. Uh, like I say, I just, uh, I don't like teams and, uh, and drivers struggling. Uh, I, I just, uh, it, you know, nobody's going to win obviously each and every week, but uh, you, you don't like uh, to see people struggle. Uh, you like to see a, a little bit more of a competitive, uh, uh, cars and drivers and situations like that. But obviously, Formula One, survival of the fi- uh, the fittest. And just uh, talking about um, uh, Mercedes now, uh, James Allison, the chief uh, engineer, said that uh, they have clear indications now after the first couple of uh, races and then testing that uh, they know uh, what they need to do uh, to uh, develop this car, the W10, where they need to improve to um, uh, really reduce 
what they see as the deficits, uh, the the gap to Ferrari in front of them. So uh, it's interesting that uh, that it's kind of turned around this way. That um, whereas it's always been everybody else catching up to Mercedes for the first time in quite a long time. Uh, that uh, that it's uh, certainly now the uh, the uh, the other way around. That uh, well, I'm not saying that the W10 is an uncompetitive car. I mean by by no means. I mean it's uh, an excellent car, but it uh, still uh, appears that the, uh, the the Ferrari, the SF90H, is uh, is that much quicker at the moment. And uh, Allison and his uh, compatriots at uh, Mercedes have an idea of what they need to do to reduce that gap and uh, hopefully for their sake uh, sort it out and even uh, move ahead of them. Anyways, let's talk a little bit now about uh, the winter, sorry, the spring testing that we uh, saw in Bahrain over the past uh, couple of days. So the big, big piece of news was it was the Formula One debut for Mick Schumacher, the uh, son of seven world cha- or seven-time world champion Michael. And of course, that, th- that combination of Schumacher and Ferrari, that's going to be a thing forever. <laughs> I mean, anybody that, uh, that went through Michael's successful, uh, era at, uh, at the Scuderia will always, I, I think, draw that parallel. I mean, uh, I was a big fan of Michael and, uh, Ferrari back in the day. And, uh, and certainly when, uh, when, when I see those two words, uh, close, uh, in close proximity to, uh, to each other certainly brings back a, a lot of, a lot of good, uh, good memories for, for me anyways, but, uh, you know, very good, uh, for, for Mick. He was a uh, second to, to Max on the first, uh, day of testing um, the the Red Bull Honda set a time of a uh, 129.379 seconds on the C3 tires. Uh, Max did 62 laps that day, and uh, Mick finished second in the Ferrari at a, he set a, a fastest time of 129.976, and that was on the C C5 tires. So obviously a, a much softer compound to what uh, what what uh, what uh, Max was using, but still pretty good for for him. The third fastest uh, in that session was. Uh, Lando Norris in the McLaren Renault. He set a time of 130.8, so quite a ways off, almost a second behind uh, Mick Schumacher, and that uh, that's even on softer tires. Uh, sorry, harder tires too. So of course uh, you're going to have a, a bit of a reduction in um, in performance and times there. I mean, it's just going to be that much uh, slower, but. Still, I mean, a second. Yeah, I guess uh, that seems about reasonable if you're going from a C5 to a to a C3. And then uh, Grosjean was able to uh, turn around um, Hass's uh, misfortune, uh, at least in testing. <laughs> Let's see if we can do it in the race uh, next weekend in China. But he was able to set a time of... Uh, Sorry, uh, Roman's uh, time was one thirty point nine eight two, and uh, that was uh, only about a tenth and a bit, tenth and a half behind uh, Lando Norris. So, just a couple of interesting uh, little tidbits uh, from uh, from uh, the, the the test session there. And uh, Mick himself has said that he wants to come into uh, Formula One as a complete racing driver, and uh, he just doesn't know at this point if uh, he could make his uh, debut next year. Because you got to think, I mean, if he's uh, one of the Ferrari Academy drivers, that uh, the the most logical place for him to go would be uh, first of all into uh, Alfa Romeo and that's where uh, Antonio Giovinazzi and Kimi Raikkonen are right now and you have to think that uh, Kimi Raikkonen being who Kimi Raikkonen is is uh, going to to sit out or sorry um, sit in Formula One for the next two years until his contract is up at the end of 2020 and uh, unless he walks away from it, decides he's had enough, had enough and wants to call it a career or they mutually decide to part ways. I just, I just can't see Kimmy 
calling it quits uh, before then. So the only uh, obvious other place would be uh, a Giovinazzi seat. So I guess that depends by and large whether or not, uh, you know, he has a good year this year or not. But, uh, you know, it, it's one thing for Mick to say that he, want, he wants to come into Formula One as a complete driver. And of course, uh, that's what, what you, you know, he wants to do. I mean, he's still just, uh, you know, a young guy and, uh, you know, getting into Formula One is um, at a younger age has become more of a trend in recent years. I mean, how many youngsters have we seen i mean like how young was max verstappen when uh, when he made it uh, was promoted to red bull and then promptly won his first race for them in uh in 2016 so i guess he would have been 19 at the time i mean amazing stuff i mean there's a lot of young drivers in there so he wouldn't be unique or at, even at a disadvantage if he was uh, put into formula one as early as next year so the thing is he might not have a choice though. He might not be able to make that call. It might just happen that, uh, that the circumstances, uh, just go his way that uh, perhaps he ends up driving for Alfa Romeo. I mean, let's even put it out there as well. I mean, Haas is even an option because I mean, that's a Ferrari customer team and you know, they, they, they have that very close uh, relationship for, with Ferrari because uh, they do have a lot of these non-listed parts that, uh, that they buy from Ferrari and use in the design and build of their car. So just, uh, from, from that, uh, arrangement alone, it just kind of makes you wonder wonder if that they're keen enough on getting uh, Mick into Formula One would that mean that uh, they, they put some pressure on Haas uh, or, or or say to them you know we want a, a seat you decide uh, who stays and who goes you know is, is, is it Grosjean that out is out is it uh, Kevin Magnuson you know who knows I mean it could very well happen and uh, the thing is uh, with uh, with Mick Schumacher is that uh, very much like uh, with some of these other young talented guys uh, you know, like, like Max, like Charles, I mean, he has some pretty impressive skills. So, uh, obviously that's not too much of a surprise just considering, you know, who he is, who his dad is and what the family name is. I mean, even, uh, even Ralph Schumacher, uh, Michael's younger brother, he had his moments. Obviously there was a big talent gap between Michael and Ralph Schumacher, but you know, racing and, and, and Formula One runs in the, in the, in the blood of that family. So it, uh, it just definitely is a, a question of time. I mean, the thing is, uh, it might not work out the way that he wants, but uh, if it comes sooner rather than later, then I think Mick is just going to have to be as prepared as best that he can and just uh, try and seize that opportunity and just uh, make sure that uh, he is able to do the best that uh, that he possibly can. But, uh, you know, he's, he's done very well. He even said that uh, he felt right at home, right off of the bat. So there, there there's obviously some synergy there. And uh, again, I mean, uh, Ferrari just did, did not... Uh, put him in there. I, I'm sure obviously having the name Schumacher uh, you know, helps uh, to, a, to a large degree, but um, that, that's only going to take you so far. Even uh, being the son of Michael Schumacher is only get uh, going to get you so far. And uh, a lot of it is going to come down to what you can do, or are you going to be able to score points? Uh, do they see you as a race winner? And if you are a, a race winner, could you be potentially a world champion? So obviously uh, Mick is taking a lot of those boxes on the, on the, the mental checklist of the powers of B at, uh, at Marinelli. So it's going to be another uh, situation that's going to be fun to watch. And uh, Formula One is certainly a lot different nowadays than it used to be nowadays. I mean, it seems uh, there, there's always uh, another hot up and coming young driver. And it's uh, just amazing to see. I, I should take a look. I, I don't know off the top of my head what the the average age of the the, the Formula One grid is. But certainly when you have uh, young guys like uh, Lance Stroll, uh, Charles Leclerc, um, uh, Max Verstappen, you can keep on going. I mean, there, there's quite a number of guys that are quite, quite young in Formula One at this point in time.
Anyways, time for one final break here, and then we're going to come back and start winding it down for this week. You are listening to Scuderia F1 here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. All right. Well, here we go. Final segment for this week's show. And we're going to go back to the one guy that is always finding a way to insert himself into the conversation in Formula One, even after he said that he was done and never had to come back to Formula One for the rest of his life, basically. And I'm kind of parsing here, but that is uh, none other than Fernando Alonso, who has been testing the McLaren MCL 34 this week. And uh, Fernando says that their, their 2019 car is better in every respect. And I think that has been evidenced over the past uh, couple of races. I don't think this is a car that is um, close to winning a a race yet, but they've uh, had some good uh, outings in qualifying. Well, Sainz has had some tough uh, tough outings. He got stuck uh, behind uh, Robert Kubica when he had his moment during qualifying in uh, Australia and uh, and Carlos was not able to get out of Q1. And then this past weekend, he tangled Max Verstappen in Bahrain and then uh, retired uh, later on during the race. But certainly, uh, you know, uh, Lando Norris has uh, really turned some head and uh, t- turned some heads through the first couple of races of the year and uh, have people talking about McLaren in a way that we're we're not really used to or we haven't been so much over the past couple of years. I mean, it was uh, for the longest time, oh gosh, you know, those Honda engines are just not reliable. They're not more powerful enough. They're not fill in the blanks. And then it was the conversation to, uh, just uh, evolved into, well, the, the, the McLaren isn't quite as good of a car as, uh, as they thought they had designed. And and, uh, you know, you, you take that car that's maybe not the best one they've ever designed and built and put a, an engine in there that's subpar. Of course, that's going to be a recipe of, well, I would say disaster, but I guess that depends on your point of view. Dis- certainly, it was a, a recipe of uh, underwhelming and disappointing seasons in Formula One. So to hear Fernando say that the car is an improvement in every aspect is a is certainly a step in the right direction. And, and the results so far are starting to play out that way and, and certainly... Uh, uh, bolster their claims and and, and really support uh, the, the the fact that uh, they are getting better because I mean that's what it comes down to at the end of the day I mean you can make any sort of claim that you want but the proof is really in the pudding and where, where are you doing or where are you qualifying your cars for the Grand Prix and how are you doing in the in the races and uh, certainly the, the the signs at this point appear a positive so we'll have to watch them and see uh, if they can can continue to uh, progress and do well and improve in Formula One. Anyways, um, now I want to just talk quickly about uh, racing points. So they're kind of moving up in the world. There's uh, an article on uh, motorsport.com today that uh, Racing Point have uh, released a a concept plan for a new uh, factory at Silverstone, and they're putting in a pretty substantial amount of money to build this uh, factory. It's going to be 25 million uh, pounds, and uh, they want to have the construction complete in time for the 2021 uh, Formula One season. So it's... uh, it's it's an interesting development. Let's just put it that way. I, I did not see it coming. I mean, it, it really looked like uh, this time last year that this was a team that was uh, on life support. I mean, uh, Vijay Malia, the, uh, the the team principal and owner at the time, uh, was uh, facing some pretty serious uh, you know, legal issues in India. And uh, ultimately, the team uh, went into uh, administration triggered by, uh, you know, um, Sergio Perez for lack of... Uh, 
payment of wages, I think is uh, how that uh, they, they set it up. But I mean, he really did what uh, somebody needed to do. And that was to, to kickstart the process of being able to get a new ownership uh, group in uh, place. And uh, once they went into administration, of course, uh, it was uh, it was Lawrence Stroll, uh, Lance's dad, and his uh, consortium of uh, investors that stepped up and uh, and bought uh, bought their, took the team over from the, uh, the administrators and uh, have been running it uh, ever since. So the the one question I did have at the time was that okay well that's cool that Lawrence has uh, you know rescued the team and I, obviously I guess his son is going to go there which of course did play out that way in the end as we all expected it to but I was always wondering like how much of a commitment is he going to make uh, to, to to Formula One is this just going to be for a, a little thing and I mean obviously spending that amount of money twenty five million pounds to build a new factory at uh, and research. Development center at Silverstone. I mean, that's that's a major major thing. So, these guys, uh, and of course, I'm looking from the outside in, but uh, certainly I'm quite impressed by the uh, by the commitment that they're showing. And it's it's going to be another one of these situations. It's going to be interesting to watch because Force India has always been that team that's done more with a lot less compared to a lot of the other teams. So now they're 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 getting more money. They're going to get new facilities. So it, it'll really be a, a fun situation to watch and see where this team can kind of develop and where they can go from here and see if they can move a little bit uh, further up uh, the grid. But getting that money uh, behind them is uh, certainly going to do all sorts of uh, wonders for them. But uh, let's just now talk about uh, Red Bull and they've had some uh, issues over the past uh, couple of races. I mean, the, the Honda engine is obviously... It's no worse off than the Renault in my eyes so far, and uh, what we've seen a couple of times, uh, Max doing with the Red Bull with the, with the Red Bull Honda, things that we didn't uh, expect to see, and that was uh, passing a Ferrari and straight line speed. So that was uh, that was one amazing thing. But Max has actually been saying that uh, their form could not be worse than uh, than it was in uh, Bahrain. So he's uh, not uh, very happy at the moment, and he, but he does believe that uh, that the team and the car can do. Uh, a lot better now that the season's going and things are focused. So it's been kind of, uh, well, I mean, it hasn't been an out and out bad start. I mean, it's not like he, he's had a mechanical or he's had reliability issues. He's had problems with the car, whatever it might be. I mean, he's finished both races. I mean, he finished on the podium in Australia, finished fourth spot in Bahrain last weekend. Uh, but th- there are obviously some things that uh, they're, they're trying to still figure out and they're, they're calling the RB15 a bit of a quote tricky car and uh, Christian Horner is saying that they've been looking what he's looking for what he's calling the the magic password so they, they haven't been able to, to really um, figure it out the, the the car so last weekend they were just not able to to get enough temperature into the tires and of course you know that's that's a big thing getting the tires in that optimum heating range and uh, they were just kind of uh, fighting it uh, a little bit uh, the the entire weekend but then it was also a little bit uh, kind of interesting too because while their team might be struggling a little bit not a lot i mean uh, gasly i think has got to be able to find a way to close the gap between himself and max verstappen and uh, and move up uh, the the race order and uh, up the finishing uh, places on a weekend because he should be closer to max than he should be close than than he is to the uh, the toro rosos at the moment i mean he was uh, put into a, a red bull to replace danny ricardo and of course that's a really huge and tough thing to do but at the same time I mean he's got to be able to to step it up a a little bit but you know having say that Christian Horner was actually poking fun at uh, Renault after they had their double DNF in Bahrain last weekend and uh, the the quote that uh, that uh, that he made uh, saying uh, quote Renault blowing up unfortunately didn't help us see the podium
him. It's ironic, isn't it, whether they're in the car or out of the car. So, you know, he's making the joke that they couldn't make the podium when they had Renault engines in their cars uh, over the past uh, several years. And uh, obviously their fortunes uh, changed around dramatically after 2013. And uh, they went back to, or they, they went, made the switch to the V6 turbo hybrid engines. And it's been uh, all Mercedes, but uh, obviously Renault just was not able to um, get on that same level as uh, as Mercedes and Ferrari. And uh, they, they really struggled for it. So Christian taking that opportunity once again to make a snide comment uh, about them. So basically it doesn't matter if they have Renault engines or not because uh, they're not helping them to, to get on the podium. And they, even if their cars are retiring when they're finishing hiring up the uh, or higher up in the racing order, that uh, their retirement doesn't uh, elevate them to the podium either. So... A bit of a tongue-in-cheek moment, but uh, he just can't let anything slide when it comes to uh, Renault. <laughs> so it's kind of uh, it's kind of fun and uh, almost childish at the same time. Anyways, so Renault just uh, talking about them. Uh, they're going to be really turning their focus onto reliability after what they're calling a brutal double DNF in uh, in Bahrain. So a surreal, uh, a beatable. The team uh, principal is. Uh, he said that that double DNF was just unacceptable. And I don't ever remember seeing another race that, uh, that two cars from the same team retired basically at the same identical, uh, moment. And, uh, they were, they were running quite well. I mean, it, it was disappointing for, um, Nico Hulkenberg. Obviously he did not qualify well. He didn't uh, make it out of Q1, but he was able to, to really make up a lot of positions and he was running quite nicely. So it was disappointing to see him, uh, retire the way that he did. And, uh, uh Ricardo, he's just, he's having a bit of a, a, a tough start to the season and uh, I, I guess he's really sort of having to break himself into uh, a driving for for Renault because he's calling the uh, the the Renault a very different beast than uh, than he had with uh, with Red Bull over the past uh, several years. But Hulkenberg is he's not really pointing uh, any fingers at uh, at anyone right now. Well, I mean he's acknowledging that uh, that there's um, that there's problem with the engines, but he said that there's little to gain by what he says hammering its engine department at Renault over the the, the problems uh, that they had from the reliability. And uh, but he, you know he's urging the team to find a, a quick fix for the the reliability troubles and th- this I think is a is a big year for Renault and, and certainly I'm expecting a lot more from them uh, because obviously when they came back into Formula One after they bought out Lotus a couple of years ago it was always going to take a, a couple of years for them to really. Uh, reestablish their position in Formula One. I mean, they're taking over an existing operation, so they got to basically start doing things the way that they want to do it or not, or whatever the situation may be. But it's a multi-year process. I mean, if you go and read Total Competition, which is a Ross Braun book, uh, he would say that uh, taking over at a Formula One team was a, it was like a three-year plan. It would be first year, understand what's going on and and just learn the system and, and find out what the problems are, where the strengths are. And then the second year, you come up with a strategy of how to um, build upon the strengths and try and eliminate the weaknesses and the problem areas. So in the third year, you're winning races. And of course, uh, Ross helped uh, prove that and he's got the record to back it up. But that's a, an awfully simple way to uh, to say it. But uh, just uh, taking that, uh, that sort of mentality, though, is that uh, just when it comes to Renault, that uh, they, they've been in 
or they, they've been in Formula One now uh, several years again uh, since taking over from uh, from Renault or sorry from uh, from Lotus. So this is a year that I think that we really need to see some some real concrete progress because I think they've kind of flatlined in there that that curve that they've had that sort of developmental curve where they've improved steadily each and every year. But uh, the last year and a bit, I, I think they've flattened out more than I'm sure more than what they would have wanted. But uh, they they really need to get it uh, sorted out and back on track pretty soon. All right. Well, the final story of the week is that Formula One has enlisted Will Smith, so they're going to start getting jiggy with it, I guess. Anyways, it's an attempt to to bring A-list celebrity uh, appeal to Formula One on uh, race weekends. Uh, We we saw Will Smith around, uh, I think it was at uh, Abu Dhabi last year. So it's a deal that's going to start in uh, 2020, and uh, Will Smith's uh, Westbrook Studios will be involved. And uh, so they're going to be putting celebrities through pre-film stunts and challenges and things at uh, race weekends. So uh, obviously that's uh, an initiative on behalf of Formula One. Sorry, not Formula One, but uh, the the Liberty Media influence trying to uh, attract more people and get more people talking about Formula One in a a different way. So I remember answering that big uh, questionnaire that came out just about the formula uh, or the future formula. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. And uh, all the questions about the, uh, the celebrities and would you like to see more people or famous people involved with Formula One? I think I put no, I didn't really care. But I mean, it does have appeal for, for, for some people. And I guess ultimately, if it uh, gets more people interested in Formula One and talking about Formula One, uh, it, that's a good thing. For me, it wasn't a, a necessary thing to do, but it is what it is. And Formula One's getting jiggy with Will Smith. So there you go. Anyways, that's a good place to to leave the show for this week. Um, I feel like I'm kind of rambling a little bit now, <laughs> but like I say, it's been a very, very long week with uh, so many programs to do and a lot of different uh, events to cover. So Saturday cannot come soon enough. And then uh, I get a couple of days off, several days off, I think an entire week until uh, the Whitecaps play next. And of course, we have the Chinese Grand Prix at Shanghai next week. So looking forward to, uh, to that definitely. And uh, before I go, uh, just want to throw it out there if we want to get in touch you can uh, do so by sending us an email at scudriaf one pod at gmail.com or easiest way to get in touch with uh, kevin and myself is on twitter and do that at scudriaf one pod and that's it that's a wrap thank you so very much for listening and we'll talk to you again this time next week Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.